Hi everyone, welcome to Illumination. My name is Adora Mbelu and I'm extremely passionate about helping people live a purposeful life. On this show, I'm going to be talking with so many amazing people whose journeys I hope will inspire you, will motivate you, and will empower you to do so many amazing things in this world because I believe that you were made for greatness. And so I want you to listen to all of this stuff and I want you to remind yourself that you are light. Today's guest, Ozoz Soko, is a food explorer and exploration geologist who's passionate about food. Cooking, eating, dreaming, writing, and photographing it, especially on her blog, Kitchen Butterfly. A traveler by plate, she uses food ways to explore the world because food is more than eating. In 2013, she coined the phrase, the new Nigerian kitchen, her philosophy and practice to celebrate and document all aspects of Nigerian cuisine, from classic recipes to reinventing and representing Nigerian food. Her work has been featured on CNN's African Voices, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, and Food 52. On this episode, Ozoz talks about taking a leap of faith, her pursuit for purpose, and passion on her life's journey. Ozoz, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's beautiful to see you. It's always beautiful to see you. Thank you, Adora. Glad to be here. Thanks. And you've hosted me at your home a few times. <laughs> Enjoyed yeah. the food and the company yeah. and your family, which is very beautiful. Thank um, you. Yeah. And so I, I felt like, you know, people really need, needed to hear um, your story and your life and all the amazing <laughs> stuff that we talk about over the table, mm-hmm. the dinner table, right? Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share what I can. Yeah. Um, so we'll start off with the geologist to food story you know um how did that happen what was the journey like did you always um know that you were gonna do things with food i pretty much started out life not as a geologist Mm. i did urban and regional planning in ife for a few years and then at that time there were lots of strikes and i convinced my father to send me abroad to study literature and my dad was like no way am I sending you to study literature. That's something you can do on the weekend. Mm. So I chose geology because yeah, I knew Nigeria was oil and gas rich and that I would basically get a good job. And I think in my naivete at that time, I thought getting a good job would be equivalent to happiness. And mm. that's, all, that's all you know. I was concerned about. But I went to university in Liverpool, studied geology, came back to Nigeria, started working as a geologist and cooking and loving food but i didn't think that my food my love for food would be anything more than just cooking for my family Mm. and friends but in 2007 i moved to the netherlands at that time i worked at shell so i moved to the netherlands and i was really homesick and i was close to depression And I said, I I knew that I needed to find something, an outlet, something that would give me comfort outside of the constraints of work, nine to five, dealing with colleagues, leadership and all of that. So I continued cooking. And then one night, my friend, it was a Friday night, I remember very clearly, my Mexican friend Paula came around to dinner and I was making Chinese. Mm. And while I was prepping everything, because I'd been at work that day, so I was cooking, you know, after work. 
she's prepping everything and she came and she sat down and was working on her blog you know and i was cooking and i was thinking of how beautiful like the spring onions mm. were and the bell peppers and then i like paula writes a blog why can't i write a blog mm. i mean it bring together my love for food writing and photography i was like okay i'm going to write a blog and this was in like september of 2008 right and it took me 9 months cuz at that time i used to be a perfectionist so everything had to be just right so it took me 9 months to birth the blog um but in june of 2009 i started kitchen butterfly mm. and what happened is that all the depression that i felt at work the unhappiness with performance reviews and bosses who didn't always mean what they said and you know colleagues who i felt were sometimes were being underhand mm. I could finally channel all that all my anxiety all my pain mm. on happiness into this creative endeavor that was writing cooking and that was kitchen butterfly mm. and so that was the early movement from geologist full time to geologist and food lover right you know side by side and why did you call it chick- uh, kitchen butterfly Okay. So around that time my kids were young and there was a butterfly garden near where we lived, mm. right? So when I went to we went to the butterfly garden and it was interesting because I could see all the stages of the butterfly. So I could see the egg, I could see the chrysalis mm. and all the stages from moth to mm. when the butterflies emerge from the cocoon. And when I thought back to my journey as someone who grew up not eating till she was 9 mm. and you know in and out of hospital and really stressing my parents to traveling abroad and going to Wimpy which is like one of the early fast food joints my father took my sister and I and I ate a hamburger for the first time without threat or tears you know mm. my father was shocked he offered me a second one I had it I ate I was too full I cried mm. but there was that journey there was that change in not eating to eating to a stage where i began to experiment so for me it was like a metamorphosis right. of sorts which is quite similar to the butterfly yeah. and i knew that i wanted the name to be rooted in the kitchen because i feel like the kitchen is the birthplace of so many things the kitchen and the dining table but you know as a cradle as a place where things yeah. begin for me it's the kitchen That's you know, beautiful. So. I'm sure a lot of people don't even know that, right? So they're like, "Oh, kitchen butterfly, where did she get from?" But that's I mean, that's a beautiful story to share. Um now, a couple, I think maybe one or two years ago, we were we were talking about you taking the leap, making the leap out of um full-time employment and then, you know, doing this fully because it's something that you're extremely passionate about and you were going through a period where you were so sure mm. that this was a huge part of your purpose. You know, it's like I want to do this. Like I feel comfortable doing this. Every time I express this, like I feel like I mean alignment with what it is that I'm meant to be doing. You know, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much how you felt. Um and in that period, I remember you just, you know, the, the discomfort where it's like I'm comfortable on one hand in mm-hmm. terms of um I want to do this, but on the other hand, this is like going to disrupt everything, <laughs> everything you know, and this is like fast forward 2 years later and you're doing it. Like you're doing it full time. Yeah. Um so I just want you to sort of share a little bit about, you know, where where you were 2 years ago when you were thinking about this and, you know, at what point did you say, you know what? 
I'm committing my life to this. So I worked as a geologist Mm. for 15 years, right out of school, into a nine to five, waking up at 5 a.m. And I did that Mm -hmm. for 15 years. But I think halfway through that, I was pretty sure that I wanted a career Mm. in food. So there was a point where I had to make a choice about what it was and how it was and I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Mm. And I knew that that was in food, but I wasn't really clear on the path. Mm. I wasn't clear on the how. And one thing that helped me was quite early on in my career, I had mentors, I hired personal coaches because I figured that if I wanted to journey anywhere, I would need to have a kind of roadmap. And so I made a near-term roadmap next year, two to, next two to five years, and then a five to 10 years. And the process of working through that, reflecting on really what I wanted to do, brought clarity. Mm. And one of the things I knew that I wanted to do was teach, right? So I always thought I wanted to teach early literacy and I wanted to teach people English and maybe essay writing and Mm. bring a bit of science into it. But one day my daughter woke up and she was like, we're talking and she was like, you know, you really should teach home economics. And I was like, oh my God, actually, that's actually really what I want to do. You know, because I feel like it's, if we taught home economics in Nigeria, it would be amazing for people to grow through knowing Mm. about Nigerian cuisine, identity and all of that. So anyway, so I started getting closer to this idea of wanting to teach and knowing that I couldn't do geology forever. Yeah. The big thing for me was money. Like, Mm. how am I going to be able to fund my life? Yeah. I have three children, school fees, rent. How am I going to be able to fund my life? Not so much my lifestyle, but fund my life with food. In the course of the time at work, working as a geologist, I'd built up skills, particularly project management, ideation, creativity, strategy skills. And I found out that I could bring them into the food world and the food space in novel ways, new ways, things. I could do things that people weren't familiar with. Mm. And so I found myself actually having a lot of clients who wanted to tap into that creative side. So I started, you know, making some money. Right. The critical thing was, and it was a question you asked me. I was like, okay, so how much do you need to live? Right. Yeah. How much do you need to live for a year if you don't work at Shell anymore? And that was the scariest question because I I had no idea. I had no idea about what I should be thinking about Mm. um, medical, what it costs to run my home a month. Because when you have, when I had a salary, it was literally you're doing it as as it it comes up. Someone needs this. Mm. I didn't really. It didn't really require a lot of forethought or planning, right? So I think the first step was in someone asking me a difficult question and me forcing myself to think about it and answer it in spite of my discomfort and my fear, Mm. you know, to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to budget for, oh, medical insurance exists. Oh, okay, I'm going to find out what it costs and Mm. how, you know. And so just going through the motion of actually sitting down in spite of the fear to think about what it cost me a year, what I needed to do, um, just gave me me clarity. Mm. And the courage came from having an end goal, teaching, I could 
reverse engineer and backtrack mm. and say, okay, well, to, to become a teacher, what do I need to do? And I figured out that I needed to go back to school mm. and I wanted to go back to school to study food, you know, to, to do a degree mm. in food studies. So having that further study in mind is really what propelled me to, because for further study, I had to apply. Mm. I, I didn't get in, but it gave me courage and right. kind of helped me pave the way to leaving. Right, right. You talked about like skill sets, you know, you talked about having the project management um, background and then all the different skill sets that you've brought to what it is that you're doing. And I think for me, um, and I'm sure for most people, you know, this is something that I've seen sort of stand you out, right, from a lot of the people in your space. It's like, you know, you you bring this you bring you bring these skills then you bring the excellence right which is like there's the photography i do this by myself you pretty much go around take photos you write you know so it's not just about the food but it's about storytelling around the food as well you want people to see you want people to read and understand like you know information and knowledge about the food that you're you're, you're presenting and all of that i'm saying this because I think that when whenever people think about um, people who work with food, the thought process is that ah, they're enjoying it. It's just food. you just cook, cook, cook. Ozos makes a lot of money from cooking, um, but there's just so much that goes into it. Especially um, now that you're working with brands as well, and you do stuff you know here and there that require that that is now professional as well. Um, so I just want you to just sort of you know tell me about you know, what goes on behind the scenes. Because even just coming to eat in your house, that's a process on its own. <laughs> right. So uh, food is an experience. Yeah. Um, and the best experiences don't have to be fancy. Like I say, I love Gary. So, But for me, when I want to soak Gary, like there has ice cubes, sugar cubes, Ijebu Gary, a glass bowl, groundnut or coconut like for me and then when i sit down to put it all together mm. it, there's so many things that like that get awakened memories of soaking gary when i was seven my brother having falling off a bus <laughs> because um he watched me and my friend basically hang off a bus mm. and then he fell and i didn't I was so afraid to tell my mom, but the first thing I did when I got home was go and soak Gary and somebody else told her. But just all the memories, that, there's mm. so many memories that are tied to that. Mm. And so for, for me, food is always that experience. And so when I think about, I always think of it as food is more than eating. Mm. Um, maybe I'm having a plate of Amala and Ewedu. Where did the where did the amala come from? Mm. Who who invented yam flour, and who understood that it could be this whole other thing? How did they know that it would go so perfectly with a wedu? Who's the farmer farming a wedu? What are the best ways to farm a wedu? Mm. So for me, there's so much. There's history. There's culture. There's identity. There's biology. There's mm. agriculture. There's economics. You know, there's so many things that end up on the plate. Mm. So you, whenever I look at a plate of food is ju it just isn't it is, it's not just the function of yeah this food is going to fill me up but it's all the other different diverse things mm. that are linked to it and that's what i find incredibly fascinating mm. so when i want to make something some sometimes it takes days mm. to even make one recipe because one day i might go to the market take photos the next day i might cook i might cook and then it'll be too dark for me to take a nice photo of the finished dish. So I might take that photo on the final day. I'm not talking about having written the recipe 
long before I even went to the market. So a lot of times by the time I get to the kitchen, it's almost like a project, mm. right? Different phases. I assess what I have at home. I assess what I need to buy. I plan. And then execution, which is the cooking, is kind of like the last mm. thing. You know, there's a whole series yeah. of things that go into it. And so when people look at things and they're like, oh, it isn't just a simple thing. I'm like, no, it's actually... It actually, actually takes a lot of yeah, work. Yeah, it really does. A <laughs> lot of work. So I, I don't, and for that reason, I can't criticize another cook or chef yeah. because I know what it takes to get into the kitchen to create something. I might not like it. It doesn't mean that it's the other chef's food or cook's food is not good. Right. You know, it's different to me, but it takes a lot of energy, you know, to marshal and put together something that looks nice nice yeah yeah i mean but then yours doesn't even stop there is is where (laughs) i'm going so it's like it looks nice Mm -hmm. and then you take it and you amplify this whole story about it you know you first have to capture it in its niceness Mm -hmm. and then you amplify the story about it and then you respond to what people think (laughs) or what you know what i mean like people start to share their opinions about this and then you respond to that so it's 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 almost as if you know you live this no and i honestly really believe that i'm doing what i should be Mm. doing I haven't always been in that space, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm living and doing the things that I should be doing. That food is my calling. Mm. Um, I know that. I wake up every morning with, I mean, some of the ideas that I come up with, I know that it can't just be me. Mm. And some of the ways I have to share the story, it's beyond me. Mm. Yeah, it, it's beyond me. So I, and, if one person can find comfort, if one person can be inspired by the process mm. or or the look or something, if it can connect us in some way, because there's, I mean, for instance, there's so many Nigerian dishes that you'll find in the Caribbean and in South and Central America. And if food can be that red thread that, you know, helps us understand each other and helps us even be more compassionate and mm. kinder to one another just from the simple fact that we sh- we have things in common mm. then you know i think that's the work that i'm called to right do. right is there ever a point in time where um you maybe create something and then it doesn't turn out like you envisioned time. it all the time and, you know and like what lessons do you usually oh learn from moments like that in 2010 i learned that you could learn more from failure mm than you could from success. I think before 2010, so 2010 I attended this conference, Women in Networking, and I learned so many things. But one of them, like I said, is that you can learn from failure. Before that, I wouldn't have actively sat down to review my failures. But after then, I started doing that. So when a recipe fails or when I fail in trying to communicate something to someone, I actually sit down and reflect on it. Okay, what happened here? What could I have done? Mm. Could I have done this earlier? Could I have communicated this in this way? Um, But there are opportunities to see what you can do better next time because there will be a next time. And having those lessons extracted from the failures actually help you prepare better. So I'm I'm very open to failure. I feel less these Mm. days because... I also spend more time preparing. Mm. And I think just that extra time up front, whether it's thinking about a recipe, thinking about when one thing goes in the pot or in the pan, thinking about remembering previous experiences where maybe adding something earlier changed the color, which Mm. had a 
bad effect on the overall look of a dish. Mm. You know, remembering those things also goes into it. So there's a lot that goes into into recreating post failure. Mm. But failure is important. Failure is good. Failure mm. is how you learn. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And and for people who are afraid to to sort of you know pursue their dreams to the best of their ability it's usually um that fear of failure you know it's fear of failure it's there's a lot that you know they're just worried and concerned about and then it doesn't allow them to fully approach what it is that they have in their hearts to do um but then with with people who are like who are going through such situations like what sort of lessons or advice would you give them (laughs) about pursuing their dreams one life in 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 two words you literally have one life and i remember that when i you know fear wants to stop me from emailing someone who i think can help me accomplish my next dream or my my next desire i literally have one life and we can lose it quite suddenly mm. i mean i say that because my father died of a heart attack like this mm. And one day we're talking about seeing him that weekend. The next day he was gone. And I remember um, at that time, my sister had given me this gold bangle. Yeah. And I was, you know, I used to keep my stuff away, special things I reserved for special occasions. And then my sister said to me one day, I was like, oh, when should I wear that gold bangle? Mm. Am I going to an event this weekend? It was like 18 years ago, and my sister was like, please wear the thing, mm. wear that bangle, you could die tomorrow. Mm. And, you know, and that really changed my mindset. And so I found myself, I don't save anything. Mm. If I'm keeping something, it's because, okay, maybe I don't have the energy to unbox or go right. through the, but so at home, I use my best set of plates to right. eat every day. My kids eat with the best, with the best of everything that I have because we have one day you know we have each day is given on to us we have to make the best of it mm. so do it in spite of the fear and i know that it sounds very motivational speaker yeah. which <laughs> is know. not a bad thing <laughs> no it's <laughs> right. not a bad yeah. thing but really literally yeah. what's the worst thing that could mm-hmm. happen i always say well, okay i approach someone and they don't they don't want to do something mm-hmm. with me fine i know then i can move on to asking mm-hmm. the next person mm-hmm. but if i stay and i say oh i'm afraid to ask this person uh, right and i always think about it differently i remember going to ask for feedback once and being really afraid to ask um one of my bosses for feedback and my mentor said to me why would you be afraid to ask your boss for feedback if your boss came to ask you for feedback how would you feel? I'm like, oh, I'd be, I'd be honored and I'd be willing to tell him, share with him mm. what he could do better, where he might act differently. I would be open to helping him. Yeah. So then why do you feel different about someone else being open to helping you? Right. You know, sometimes I think we need to turn it on ourselves right. and see how would it's we react. perspective, yes. you know, how you choose to see it or receive it. Precisely. So my perspective changed about my approach to things yes i'm afraid but i'm gonna ask anyway Mm. because before i ask i already have a no Mm. right but asking actually changes the odds and the odds could change in my favor Mm. so rather than staying with that no that you have banked that you have for sure when you don't ask why not even attempt Mm. it's an attempt right so why not attempt to change the odds Mm. and 
and you know and doing that honestly has brought me more open doors and has expanded the sphere of possibilities mm. for me I've, I've asked people and being sure they would say no they've said yes and actually the few times i've had the courage to it's actually gone on to transform my life to my life what i've learned though is that i have to be prepared to if i'm going to someone with an ask mm. i have to have done my homework i have to have outlined what yeah. my objectives are. So you have are. to do the work on your end first. Precisely. I have approach. to come correct, yes. come prepared, come yeah. ready to say, you know, I, I want to ask you for your help in this area. I want us to collaborate on this because this is why this is important mm. to me. This is what I've done. This is what I intend to do. Mm. So can we work together? Mm. And, you know, um, your, your, kids get so much involved in some of the stuff that you do like a lot of times you share stuff on on online and it's like they're cooking and they're making stuff mm -hmm. um and they're trying and it's like by trial by error mm -hmm. and then they make some of the most amazing <laughs> things right um was that intentional or you know how did that happen or did they just pick it up i think it's intentional mm -hmm. i realized that growing up I knew the things that my parents were interested in. My mom loved flowers, still loves flowers. My dad liked electronics and everything in the kitchen. And I think having that knowledge of my parents as human beings, besides being parents and workers and adults, mm. made me closer to them, made me understand them a little bit more. And I think it actually prepared me to be a better parent, mm. not the best parent, but a better parent. And I think that I want my children to see me as an individual removed from mother, mm. worker, friend, sister, as a person. Mm. So I want them to see the things that I enjoy. Strip of the titles. Yes. But I also, want, I also want them to understand why I enjoy these things, see the function of them, and just involve them in my life, you know. And I couldn't involve them as much when I was a geologist. I tried. You know, like, we would look for rocks when we went on when we went out and yeah. we would take field trips sometimes. But I want them to know me and I want them to be involved and I want them to enjoy the things that I enjoy mm. too, but also be able to find their own paths. And they'll, they'll soon go off to school and they'll have to cook for themselves. And, you know, it's always nice to have something that you are good at, mm. especially if it relates to one of the fundamental needs of man. Mm. So they should be, you know, yeah. it's nice that they can cook, but also that they can explore food as a beautiful thing. Mm fundamental needs of man sometimes yes. we forget that that's what food really that's is, what it right? is but with all of this stuff that you do yes i know food you're passionate about food but what else is that the driving force behind what it is that you're doing so i, I don't know if it's just the passion that is driving you is there is there anything else that is driving that i think a strong sense of identity mm. you know who am i Who's am I and what am I called for? All the times, I've found that all the times that I've had defining moments with food, I've had them abroad, right? And so for me, there's a global perspective as well to my desire. Mm. The first time I ate without stress, I was in Edinburgh. I was nine. We'd been out all day. I ate food. My father was shocked. The second time I found myself drawn to food, I was at university in Liverpool. Mm. I was very unhappy, homesick. But every time I got into the kitchen, uh, 
and try to create jollof or something. I was like, it, it took me back to home. It gave me a sense of where I was coming from. And then the last defining moment is when I started my blog. At that time, I lived in the Netherlands. Mm. And it was just about, oh my God, Nigerian food is amazing. Like I hadn't, before 2009, I ate and I enjoyed Nigerian food, but I didn't think of it as anything that was amazing beyond Nigeria. What changed was I went out to dinner with colleagues one night and a Brazilian friend of mine was talking, a colleague of mine was talking about this bean fritter. And the more he spoke, the more puzzled I looked because in my head I was like, that's Akara, that's Akara. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the conversation, he was like, oh, we have Akara here in Brazil. And I'm like, what? How? And he was like, oh, the enslaved people brought it from Africa. Right. And yes, he said Africa, but I knew it was Nigeria. And I started researching. That actually opened me up to a whole world because I started researching about Akaraje. And it was something that had been in existence for, what, 300 years? Mm. Because the earliest enslaved people went to Brazil in like the 15th and 16th centuries. And I started making Akaraje. And it came from Nigeria. In fact, it came from the Elisha area mm. where it's called Akaraosu or Akarajesha. And I think I was mind blown because I didn't realize that Nigerian food had so much history. Mm. Like we just take all the things we eat, we just eat them and we never really worry about where they come from. I think that unlocked a hole. It, it actually opened up a portal mm. <laughs> for me because I'm like, Akara is so many years old. Mm. It is now national treasure in Brazil, in Bahia, northeastern part of Brazil. And it came from Nigeria. Mm. Why didn't I know about these connections? Why didn't I know about the, these roots? What else am I missing? What other things are rooted? What other Nigerian foods exist around the world? And with each research, I found out that, you know, in Cuba, in, in El Salvador, mm. so many parts of South and Central America and the Caribbean, there are foods that actually originated from Nigeria. So the desire, mm. the idea that enslaved people could be torn from their homelands and still retain recipes, mm. oral history and traditions, nothing really written down, but could still hold on to these for hundreds of years, mm. was almost parallel to my story of being abroad and being homesick right. and using food as this comfort and anchor and, and strengthener. And I think just... The fact that Nigerian food exists, exists beyond, mm. it exists beyond Nigerian borders or Nigeria's borders. It was just mind blowing. And mm. I want to be part of the people who document that history and that culture and, and dig up stories and help people understand that we have food. We have food that's worthy of being mm. celebrated around the world, that's worthy of being celebrated at home. So, my love for food is really tied to identity, to right. wanting to preserve culture and heritage and and just help Nigerians at home and in diaspora right. really be confident of how excellent our food is and how worthy it is of being on global tables. Mm. And the impact it has had on global cuisines, like I said, Akaraje is immortalizing UNESCO's mm. intangible cultural heritage for Brazil. So many foods from Africa, mm. Nigeria, exist around the world in preserved, treasured spaces. Mm. I want us to know that. 
and that that was sort of maybe the transition to the new Nigerian kitchen. Yes. <laughs> the whole idea for the new Nigerian kitchen was you trying to show this. Precisely, to celebrate Nigerian cuisine in all aspects, as many aspects as I can grasp. And then you switch, you now started having like a fascination with jollof rice as well, right? Yes! Because <laughs> I know yes. you did a project on that. What were your findings from that project? Jollof rice is from Senegal. First wow. of all. Okay. <laughs> um, I know that jollof rice has existed in Nigeria since at least 1910 mm. from a cookbook that was written predominantly on northern Nigerian slash British cuisine. I just found this book a few years, a few months ago. Because I'm always, I feel like dates are important. Because mm. I, I, I want to prove that we have a rich culinary history that stretches back hundreds mm. of years. Um, so, jollof rice is important on so many levels. It connects West Africa on many fronts. Yeah, there's jollof rice in every West African country. It goes by a different name, but it exists. Mm. It exists as a kind of celebratory dish. Originally came from Senegal, um, from the Wolof tribe in the 14th century there was a there's actually a Jolof state but it was spelled with one L so J-O-L-O-F so it's but Nigerians obviously do it great you know um, so she has to say that yeah just just for the record in <laughs> right. case other countries neighboring countries like I countries like this. four yeah four borders away <laughs> starting with g in case they want to contest and you tried all the different ones yes I, I think for me it's the idea of how we're connected yeah but also how even in the midst of that connection we all have different expressions i think right. it's almost akin to human beings mm -hmm. we're all human mm -hmm. and there are common threads that run through us but we we express ourselves and we show up in different ways mm -hmm. and they're not bad they're not, one isn't necessarily better than the other. They're just different. Mm. And they're things that we can actually learn from the difference, things we can actually engage, use to engage our senses. Mm. It's also interesting because though um, African rice is one of the two cultivated varieties of rice in the world, the other being Asian, mm. a lot of the other ingredients from jollof went local to Africa, right? right? So tomatoes came from South America, Bolivia, Peru. Mm. Chilies came from Mexico. Mm. Ginger originally came from Asia. Garlic, thyme that we use in our jollof rice came from the Mediterranean. Curry powder is a British construct, but it has its roots in Indian cuisine. So for me, it's looking at all the all the different ingredients mm. that come together to create this one potter. So melting pot is literal. <laughs> literal, literal. They come from, yeah. like if you, if you put all these things on a map, mm. there's a spread across the world. And yes, we forcefully claim it as ours, but it's really a unification of sorts. Mm. And, and I feel like there's that approach to being able to absorb different things from different parts of the world. Mm yet create something that is uniquely Nigerian or African mm. or, or, or uniquely mine or yours, you know, we're a product of different influences. Um, yeah. And, and can you just tell me like, you know, a quote or a uh, principle that you live by that, and just tell me what that means to you. Quote. Well, it could be a principle. It could be just something that you live by. Live to the fullness of each day. 
each day. The day I determine that I'm going to watch Netflix, I do it to, like, when I leave, whether it's binge watching suits or street food or something, when I'm done, I'm done. That's my, if that's my purpose for the day, that's my purpose for the day. And you know, the funny thing is sometimes I come away from those, almost every time I come away from those with ideas of what next. I come away inspired. I come away inspired to create something based on something I've seen in my recreational period, something I've seen in my downtime or my resting time. Fired up, clarity, direction, inspiration. I'm very much about balance, about having, fulfilling all the aspects of, if I think of life as like a pie chart, mm. um, each segment has its purpose. And each se no segment should be, should take precedence over mm. everything else. When I worked, one of the things that scared me was I would work impacted everything. So if I failed at work, everything else was horrible. It didn't matter whether I was a good mother. I would see myself as a bad mother, a bad parent, bad friend. Mm. Work colored everything. Mm. But I had to learn that work was just one slice of that pie. And I could deal with what it was at work. You know, it, it, it required me learning to deal with stuff. Mm. Whereas, you know, I used to want to run away from things. Mm. But it... Just this approach and perspective made me stand up and made me more, made me bolder about confronting mm. aspects of my life that I wasn't happy with mm. and just dealing with them mm. as difficult as they were. Mm. Because I knew that if I didn't do that, it would just cast a cloud over everything. So just each segment has its importance, spirituality, mm. rest, recreation, time for creativity, TV, whatever it is, mm. it has its purpose and that's important for you to realize. Mm. Yeah. And I've also learned to drop my hero complex. I used to be, oh, I can save the world. Some, ah, something is happening. Ah, mm, I was also right. the rescue. But I realized that that is silly of me, one. And also that literally I can't save, can't the, world. save the world. Yes, I can try to make things better. But just this enormous pressure and burden to be to be and to do no not anymore no mm. especially not after 40 mm. no way <laughs> <laughs> i love it no way no i, I love the new ones nah, too. <laughs> i cannot beautiful. go and kill myself <laughs> it's no. important to know that you know and that's beautiful to hear um Thank you so much, Ozoz, for being on the show. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself um, on this. Where can people find you online? Um, first place, my blog, kitchenbutterfly.com. Instagram, my current preferred journaling tool, I think of it. That's what I think of Instagram as. Um, at Kitchen Butterfly. Twitter, at Kitchen Butterfly, but no E in the kitchen. Mm. Occasionally, Facebook, Ozoz Circle. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. It's awesome. It was beautiful, good. beautiful experience. Thank you. Thank thanks you so thanks, much. I appreciate so it. Thank What's you. What's up, Lumination Tribe? Subscribe to this channel for more insightful and impactful learning. Check out our website, luminaworld.com, for show episodes, resources, and events. Let's continue this journey of growth.